Hello and welcome to the Artist Appeals. In today's episode, we talk to a landscape photographer. This landscape photographer focuses on, da, 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 yes, of course, landscapes, but his work was inspired by a landscape itself. That's right. A landscape told him to become a photographer. Spoiler alert. He tells some great stories about his career and this story about how he found his artistic voice, how he found his calling, I think might resonate with you. Have you found your calling yet? So please join us in this episode as we speak with Drake Fleege. Hi, Drake. Welcome to the Artist Appeals. So psyched to have you on. Thank you, Erin. Welcome to be here. Glad to be here. Yeah. So you're a photographer, professional photographer, um, and a nature photographer to boot. We always start out with, well, this season, we're starting out with five questions and I'm going to zoom up here. I um, have them here on my computer and I zoomed out. Here we go. So we're going to start with five rapid fire questions, fun questions to get into the meat of things. Number one, what is your number one top selling product or piece? What one piece of artwork has made you the most money or gotten the most recognition to date? Okay, two of them in different ways. One, and it's this one right here, although it's much larger. You can see it. Ah, right? uh-huh. Path in the woods. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Windy, curvy boardwalk through the woods. It's called Meandering Boardwalk. And I hooked up with a, a shipping company a while back, and it's a number of years ago. And they have a program whereby if you buy so much of your product, you know, cardboard boxes, whatever else, da, 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 they give you free stuff. Well, at that time, they really were doing a good job with the, the prints or promoting the prints. Mm -hmm. Since then, they've added so many other things that the prints have really kind of fallen away. But at that time, they took this print and they printed it. Well, they, I had to pay for it, but I mean, they bought a 16 by 24. It's kind of a poster style. I print yeah. everything myself, but in this case, they wanted it lithotype. Okay. So it ended up taking off and became their number one, what they called seller, because it promoted so much of their product. And it obviously benefited me extremely well. It, it allowed me to get into the art fairs. Really? Yes. That, How's that, that work? one print allowed me to get into art fairs, allowed me to get better photography equipment, you know, that one. So alone. you just kept showing everybody this one print being like, hey, it's. No, I didn't. Actually, they got it in their catalog and they put it online. And when oh. people bought fifteen hundred bucks worth of equipment, uh, stuff, you uh -huh. know, product uh -huh. from them, they got this free print. And they, what they did is they they matted it and framed it. I just uh -huh. had to give them the print and they did the rest. And well, how did that come to fruition? Like, so you said you had approached them originally to print yes, it, I did. Yeah, but I did. then they came back to you and said, Hey, we want to use this to promote or no, actually they haven't, uh, they do it biennially fall and spring mm -hmm. and they have a review process. Okay. So you can submit images, some of which I wonder why they ever select some of which, you know, not for me, but others as well. Um, right. And like I said, they've, They've had people, different people. So things have changed and their their philosophies towards this has changed. Yeah. I'm no longer involved in it anymore. But back then when I was, they had some people that really understood what art was and what people might like in that. Mm -hmm. and, and and what they did is I just contacted them out of the cold, clear blue. 
Mm-hmm. They latched onto this and said, geez, we have this program and we would like to include perhaps some of your images or at least one of them. They mm-hmm. ultimately took four, but five, actually they took five, but over time. But what they did is they took this one and they, they put it into their program, which meant then that rather than I print it, like I do everything else, mm-hmm. they wanted in this, like I say, this poster style, this little thing. Yeah. Um, and so I had to go find a printer that did that and they did it. And then I shipped it to them. They put a matting and a frame around it. And then when people bought $1,500 worth of product from them, they got this free print. Oh, nowadays, wow. yeah, nowadays, if you buy, you know, whatever, you'll get a free hat. Or if you do something else, you get a free grill. And then so it was a promotion. Yeah, well, yes, yes. It was a rewards, custom rewards kind of program for them. Yes. Uh-huh. That's fascinating. Did, yeah, it did so well. I mean, at that time, they were also some photographers from National Wildlife and others in there. Um, so I felt very honored to be part of the program, to be very honest. Cool. And um, it took off. And that one print did better than they had ever done before. People <laughs> all over the nation were grabbing them up. Yeah. Well, it has a beautiful S curve in it. Hold it up again. That's exactly you got right, it right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah right it's there, got yeah. that beautiful S curve and the one point perspective leading you back in through the woods. That. Yep curving path you know that s composition is very appealing it's beautiful thank you Drake. that's no problem now that was the most from a volume perspective which ultimately came in the most uh financial dollars the one that has given me the most per print per one print sale is actually this one Uh uh-huh as a triptych divided in thirds okay that's twenty four hundred dollars and uh, it's, Love it's it. 20 by it's 20 it's three 20 by 40 panels so it becomes uh-huh. 40 by 60 split mm-hmm. and uh I, I sold that one one time you know and nice people that love it love it people it's a beautiful it. piece now you must have shot that with a pretty high resolution camera in order to be able to make it that big and divide it into a triptych yeah i shoot everything all of my photography except when I specifically call out my iPhone photography on my Facebook page. Okay. Everything else is shot with a Canon 1DS Mark III. Okay. Camera. Nice, nice. Uh, Very is- cool. So what is the one thing you love to do or create the most? Like what is your, your shtick? I'll admit it took me a little time to figure this out as I started into photography, but it really comes down to landscapes. Now, landscapes can be defined as trees, for instance, yep. or mm-hmm. other things like that, or the rivers. I like rivers a lot. I like water a lot. Mm. I like fall colors. So if I can mix the fall colors with water or with the trees and the environment like that, I love it. Yeah. Are you um, a water sign? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I studied water in college, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about a water sign. Um, but having said that, so that. That's what I really enjoy the most. I, I tried other things, experimenting and whatever, way back when I was first getting into this. And I quickly found out that I didn't enjoy it. And if I didn't enjoy it, I didn't feel good. Yeah. Whereas with this stuff, do you have time for just a, if I yeah. go off on this? We got an hour, but these okay. are the first five rapid fire questions. Although they're okay. not very rapid today, but that's okay. Uh, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> so I have to feel things when I take images. And I have to hear music. And if I don't hear the music, none of this is going to work. I end up throwing all the images away. 
I like that advice. Everybody's always talking about when you're evaluating um, photo photography or a piece of art, how do you know if it's like a good one? And judges and, you know, uh, people who are evaluating competitions, they'll say, well, it's got to have that something special, that that something. So you define it as music. Huh? Yes. Yes. I, I physically, uh, well, I don't physically hear it, but I, I hear music in my mind when I'm out shooting, whether it's at the lake, you know, Lake Michigan, for instance, which is not far from us uh -huh. in the woods or whatever. I start to hear music and if I can start to hear music in my head and it can be a John Denver song. It doesn't have to be though. Then I know that I'm locked on. I am connected to the scene. Period. But if, but if what I do you hear? That, do you hear classical or rock or? Uh, might be John Denver music. <laughs> you know, seriously. And I'm a big John Denver fan. But okay. it doesn't have to be. Hence the hat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it doesn't have to be. But I start hearing that and I become connected with the scene. If I'm not connected with it, everything I'm doing that day is done. It's history. No mm. way. It's not going to work. That is fabulous advice. You know, we had another artist on and she's a painter, but she was talking about getting in flow state. A couple Same of time. artists have talked about flow state and yep. how, you know, art brings this to them. It gives them yep. this, this sense of, of losing track of time and, and being connected. And it's so fascinating to hear you equate it to music. That is really cool. Yeah. I also equate my scenes to music mm. in that, not only do I have to hear music, but I look at the scene and I look at all this as part of, think of it as an orchestra. Mm. And you got all these pieces of music playing different things together. Yeah. It's not just a rock. It might be the grains of multiple grains of sand next to the rock. It's a close up, for instance. Yeah. And yeah. how does that all play together? And, and does this make that sound that I want it to make? Right, right. It's a composition. Yeah, it's a truly. collection it of things. Fantastic. So what is the one thing you hate to do, create, make, or do the most? <laughs> well, number one is people pictures. Oh, really? I don't deal in people pictures whatsoever. I, like I told you before, I was experimenting. My daughter got married a number of years ago. And by virtue of being in the front seat, I said, I'm going to have my camera here, period, mm -hmm. in a discussion. Even though we hired professional photographers to do the wedding scenes and whatever. Yeah. Um, I took some pictures during the ceremony and whatever. To this day, she will not show me what those people took. She uses my images to show off the wedding every anniversary and whatever else. But she never shows me what those guys did. Really? Why not? I don't think she liked them. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might not but, have been connected to the subject as much as you are. Exactly. So, and then I thought, well, that's not so bad. So I had another friend, one of the guys locally here getting married. And I said, well, I'll save you a few dollars. I'll do your, um, uh, not the weddings, but the uh, engagement pictures. Okay. How hard can that be? <laughs> well, that was enough. I don't need to do that anymore. I tell you, I just yeah. threw that away. The other <laughs> one I don't really enjoy is, believe it or not, wildlife. Really? You're a landscape photographer, but you don't like wildlife. Okay, why? If, uh, I, for one thing, to get the picture, I might take 100, 200 images uh -huh. to get it to, to watch the thing come around or whatever. And so many of them are similar. You yeah. Know, was it looking this way or this way, this way, this way? So I may end up taking, let's just say 200 images. 
it might make me uh, take me three hours to go through 200 images and mm -hmm. ultimately select the one or two that really stand out and kill all the rest. Yeah, yeah. The rest. So it takes a long time. The other part is I'm not patient. <laughs> well, you don't like sitting in a blind for six hours to see a fox no, and then miss no. the shot. <laughs> no, no, no. If if I have wildlife scenes, to be honest with you, I catch most of them right out our front yard. The deer and stuff like that that walk in here. Yeah, yeah. I'll catch them then. Yeah, I'll go Very out. Cool. I have a long lens, and I'll go catch them. But but to um, to be committed to wildlife, like I always tell people, there are a lot of great wildlife photographers out there, and I'm not one of them. I Very am locked cool. on to, yeah, I'm locked on to landscapes. That's what hey, I mean. you know what works for you. That's what's yeah. important. Yeah. All right. So what is the weirdest or funniest experience as an artist you've ever had? Have you ever had anything lost or stolen or, or dropped or, or, you know, what's the weirdest or strangest story you have about your art? I've been lucky. I've never had anything stolen, dropped by others. Um, destroyed because of storms and art fairs or anything like that so yeah um i've been lucky in that regard if we talked about it a little bit before my conversation with denali if that fits right here that may be the sure. weirdest thing but briefly what that is is it's how i got into photography full-time um i was working for motorola at the time and i knew that at some point i was going to retire from them early yeah so in 2005, I ultimately retired in 2006. So okay. a year before that, which by virtue I didn't know, in 2005, I took off and drove up to Alaska. It drove the Alaska Highway. Mm. And uh, my wife went with me for two weeks and then she flew home and then I was up there the rest of the time. So after we saw Anchorage and whatever, she took off and I'm up there by myself. I drive into this little town of Talkeetna, which is the gateway to Denali for all these hikers and that. Yeah, Denali National Park, right? It's like huge, yeah. right? Yes, Denali National Park and Denali the mountain, yes. And so I took a sightseeing trip. Now, Denali itself is 20,320 feet or whatever it is tall. It's huge. I saw it once when I was about 12, but I don't remember okay. it very well. Well, three-fourths of the time, no, three-fourths, I guess it's two-thirds of the time, it's covered with um, clouds, so you can't see it. Yeah. The day I was there, it was a beautiful blue sky. Mm -hmm. The mountain was gorgeous. And so I had this opportunity to fly over it with a, with a sightseeing tour for two hours. And I did. And I had my little, you know, camera and shooting away all kinds of pictures, consumer camera and stuff. And uh, I just felt great. And so I got home. I got back to Telkeetna, went and bike ride down to the river and sat down the river. And Denali is 80 miles away. And I still felt this incredible sense of power or feeling come over mm -hmm. me. So yeah. I didn't think much of it. I mean, you it were did, in awe of this mountain, huh? Yeah. It just was like this, this feeling coming over me. So the next day I drove up to Fairbanks and again, I'm, it was a beautiful blue sky day. How lucky can you be to see Denali two days in a row against a blue sky? Right. Right. And I'm listening to John Denver music as I'm driving. And again, this feeling came over me that I just didn't know what it was. So advance yourself about two and a half weeks. I'm now home going through all my digital pictures on my little computer at the time, like I said, it was all consumer stuff, you know, and yeah. uh, I'm looking at them all. And I said to my wife, I said, this is it. She said, what? I said, this is what Denali was telling me. Commit to becoming a full-time photographer, professional <laughs> photographer. <laughs> and she so went, you're nuts. <laughs> she went and said, 
who's ever going to buy your pictures? I said, no, not Ooh, these. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, well, it is what it is. You know, I said, not these. I'm committing myself totally. And when I sold all my consumer equipment, bought all professional gear, bought a bunch of magazines or magazines, but books to get into yeah. this stuff. I'm totally self-taught. So anytime I felt that I had an issue with something, I researched how to get out of that issue. Right. Whatever that was. You know, if I yeah. didn't like something, I studied the heck out of it and worked to get better. So, so Fantastic. that's, you know, if that's weird, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Nelly said, be a photographer. That's, yeah. So when <laughs> I left Motorola in 2006, um, I was already on my way. Fantastic. You had a plan, man yeah. with a plan. Yeah. Mountain told you to change your life. I love it. I love it because I have heard of other artists, you know, they find this calling. Sometimes you just get this calling. You just, and sometimes you don't, but if you hear it, you hear it. That's so cool. All right. Last number five, what is the one most important piece of the business advice you would give to yourself if you were just starting out again today? Because you do how many shows a year? You do this full time now, right? Yeah, but I only do three shows now. I'm, oh, okay. Yeah. Because of the I'm, pandemic? Oh, some of it, yeah. What I'm doing is, um, now this doesn't answer your question for just a second. It bridges <laughs> on to the other question. But um, what I'm doing is I'm committing myself to more Facebook advertising. Okay. Uh, or, or Facebook sales, online sales. Let's go back, Facebook being one aspect of that. Right, right. Um, I started a couple of years ago saying, you know, this art fair stuff isn't necessarily the right thing to do. As I'm sitting there like you on a sunny afternoon and nobody's coming bench. by because it's so hot. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's like, this isn't so smart. Let's make this thing work because I know it works for other things. Amazon being an example of that. Right. So how can I make this work? Um, so I'm getting out of not necessarily getting completely out of art fairs. I, I'm doing three, mm-hmm. but I'm committing much more to going online. And cool. I, yeah, full full committed online that in it um in mm. fact in it to win it baby yeah, that's like right it. that's right in fact i'm using david emmons uh i got into his course yeah and and i started taking that and then i got into his uh, uh what do they call it it's a one-on-one training session I forget what mastermind let's call it a mastermind yeah, mastermind. yeah yeah i'm into that with him now and that has helped so much i would encourage anyone who's thinking about it to look him up because yeah, he was on the podcast and that's how I connected with you is I said, Hey, who are some of your artists that I should talk to? But he was on the podcast, talked about his program. It's really cool. I did um, check it out because I was like, well, you can be on the podcast after I check out what you're offering. So he was kind enough to give me access and wow, talk about overwhelming hours and hours and hours of um, materials on Facebook advertising and, and all that good stuff. But you know, it's focused on creatives and that's what we need is we need people out there just sharing it all. I mean, really, that's the point of this too, is to just share our experiences and share everything we know with everybody else, because let's face it, making a living in the arts is hard, right? So let's just be completely transparent and share whatever we've learned with everybody else so that maybe somebody else can learn from it too. Yeah. And that's exactly why I went with David. I mean, uh, I've had training and other things. I was doing a stock photography for a while and yeah. And I, and talking about online, I really believed for a while bought into, let's say that the SEO thing, if I okay. can make my website SEO perfect, da, 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 great right. things will happen. 
Well, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Then my and then granted everything kind of evolves and Facebook comes around and, or whatever. And for you guys listening, SEO stands for search engine optimization. It's where you put keywords on your website that you think people are going to be researching and looking for, right? Right. And it didn't always work. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a long-term investment. Oh, you very know? much so. And it changes. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to keep at it and you got to research it. You can't just guess what you think people are going to be looking for. You have to research those keywords and see what the statistics are. And I have a friend that does that for a living, makes a very good living at it. He's not an artist. He's actually an SEO expert. But yeah, you know, I think you have to have both. You've got to have some advertising and you've got to have some SEO. What do you think? I I agree. Um, My daughter actually does this for a hospital. Oh, and and, uh, She does their SEO. Well, and the Facebook marketing. She's in charge of that whole program kind of thing. Oh, cool. And um, she volunteered to teach me. And I said, Erin, her name's also Erin. Ah, cool. I don't even know what question to ask. So I'm not going to waste your time. (laughs) So then when I started looking around the SEO stuff, she'd give me all kinds of books to read from the courses, or not courses, but the seminars she'd go to and stuff like that. And I'd read everything and I'd imply, I'd, I'd put all that stuff on my site and behind the site and I mean, I know more about this stuff than I care to sometimes. Yeah. And then then uh, Facebook advertising came around and she said, Dad, I'll teach you that. I said, again, Aaron, I'm not smart enough to know what the question to even ask. I don't want to waste your time. You know, you're you're busy doing your thing. You know, you don't need to be teaching me. That's sweet so, of you. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> so that's when I started looking around. And I got into David's thing. Yeah. Uh, because primarily because he was an artist, he was a uh, well, he's not always a visual artist in a sense, but he is with this. He's a craftsman. Uh, yes. And, and so I said, okay, and here's a guy who's been to art shows. I can immediately relate to him. He's very so, real. Very real. I mean, man, he could just be sitting right next to you as compared to being in Vermont, you know, and yeah, and, and relating. And um, what I like about him is he doesn't do stuff. Now, I did take that online course of his. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it took a lot of time a lot of time to go through that. And then of I course. went through it again. Yeah. yeah. I, I went through it again. Just, you know, slowly I'm learning this stuff, but it's like, okay, whatever. So then when I saw David's opening come up where I could have this one-on-one training, this mastermind class. Yeah. It's like, fantastic. I'm a firm believer of lifelong learning. Mm. I'm a firm believer of doing it myself until a point I need some help. Mm-hmm. I can get smart enough to ask the questions. Then I got to have somebody who can ask the questions too. Yeah, that is so true. You know, and I got to be smart enough to know that the person I'm asking the questions to really knows the material, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, not just buying something or selling something. So, yeah, yeah. So David, yeah, David fits that. Yeah, he fit that bill. Well, if you guys want to listen to that episode, David Emmons is was on season three. Oh, geez. I'd have to look it up. I'll put a link down below. Hopefully Uh, season three or season four. David Emmons, you can search the site, the artist. Hey, I want to thank you for joining me here on the Artist Appeals podcast, where I, your host, Aaron Sparler, interview every creative that I can get my grimy little hands on. And I ask all of them the question, how do you make money as an artist? We want to know. Aspiring minds want to know. That is the big elephant in the room, is it not? How do you make money as an artist? And to that effect, I'm very happy to announce that I have a new book. So check it out. You can go to How to Make Money as 
an artist or how to make money with your art.com and you can check out the new book the artist appeals i've combed through all the transcripts from season one and two and pulled out the best quotes the best stories i've even included some not twos and uh compiled them all in a gorgeous book it's taken years to come together it's gloriously illustrated with graphics and photographs and examples and all sorts of good stuff it's really accessible really really readable and uh written in plain English. So please join me at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com and get your copy of the new book, theartistappeals.com. Now let's get into the meat of the topics, which is the appeals uh, acronym. So I just use this acronym, appeals, art, product, presentation, educating your audience, essentially marketing, amplifying with automation, licensing and contract and success. So it's a simple acronym to kind of organize a whole bunch of information in something sure. digestible. So you're an artist, you're a photographer. Um, we always talk about art and we actually kind of heard your story about how you found your voice. Uh, Denali spoke to you and you're into landscape photography, but Let's talk a little bit more in depth about like um, maybe some of the technical stuff for the geeks out there. How do you make your art? Like, what is your process? How often do you go out and shoot? Um, any tips and tricks you want to offer about photography and your art form? Sure. Um, I go out by the weather, <laughs> mm, Okay. believe it or not. You, you go know, for I that golden to... hour? Those golden well, hours no, going and dust. I don't. I don't do that. No. No. I. I. I just, I just don't want to mess with that stuff. I mean, I, if I'm in an area at the time and whatever, sure. But I'll shoot in the middle of the day. Ansel Adams did, you know. And some of those shots make great black and white shots because of the contrast. Yeah. Thank you for giving us all permission. I love that. I, I don't know if I've told you, but I've done a lot of photography in my time and okay. have been a fine art photographer. And you always hear people talking about the golden hours, you know, dawn and dusk when it's that yellow color as yeah. the sun's sinking. And yeah, that's beautiful. But sometimes you're just not there at the right moment. Well, and some scenes don't fit. Yeah. You know, the shadows can be way low in the hill in the trees. You know, you're not going to get these shots. They're right? going to not work. So you so shoot whenever you want. I love it. I'll, I'll shoot whenever I want, however it looks. <laughs> you know, I've got some great scenes of uh, Lake Michigan with the sun up at about 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And that sun is a beautiful sun star. And people love it because that's what they see. They didn't see the sun star, but they see that, you know. What's a sun star? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's those. I'm not afraid to shoot any time of day. I just go out there and. You know, and I've got lenses to accept those things. I mean, uh, to make the sun star out of a sun in the middle of the day or whatever the case may be. Is the um, sun star a polarizing effect? Do you use a filter to do that? Like it's no, got little beams no. or? Here's a trick. Set your, now you have to have, some of it is physics. The, the lenses need, I think, I forget now, eight or nine blades inside of them. I forget what it is. I think it's nine. Okay. Yeah, the parts that open and close to make yeah, the aperture. Yeah, I think it's nine blades to make it eight. I think it's then to get 18 stars out of it. I forget the exact number, but um, set your um, aperture to F16. Okay. 
or or lower, you know, 16, 18, 20, 22, whatever it is. Yeah, which will slow your shutter speed down. Okay. Now, when you do that, here's my first point I tell anybody who comes into my booth and says, how do you do that? I said, you're not going to handhold it. You got to use it in a tripod. Of course. Tripods, have a steady tripod. Yeah. Got to have the tripods. Got to have a steady tripod. Yeah. So that's how you do it. Turn it into F-16 or, or greater. And be careful when you look at it because it's going to amplify it in your eyes. So mm. I don't look into the viewfinder so much. I look away and kind of watch it. But yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, so I'll shoot anytime. I, in fact, I just drove to Northern Wisconsin. It takes me four and a half hours to get there. Mm-hmm. I got there at 1030 in the morning. I'll shoot until 430 at night. <laughs> I don't care. You know, nice. It, it, it doesn't matter. The time of day, it does not matter to me one bit. I will adjust it. You know, um, I'm not always now I will say this. There are times where it's too bright sometimes. Mm-hmm. Then I'll look into some other spot like in the woods. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's more shadowed in the woods and places like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Or this river scene here as an example, you can see it. But this is a good example. The other day I was up at a place. It was overcast at 12 o'clock. Beautiful. Everything came up perfectly. Well, Shortly after that, the sun came out and everything was destroyed because it's too bright. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a matter of the timing, you know, per se, the time of the day. Right. Right. Nice overcast day will really help you allow you to get more detail in. Right. Do you shoot uh, actually, HDR? No. Actually, no. That In okay. my mind, mm-hmm. and what I've seen is an overcast day, it tends to be less contrasty. Mm. So you'll get greater, but it's less contrast. So it. I actually don't like overcast days. Okay. I, I, I'm op, I'm a contrarian in many ways <laughs> of my life. <laughs> I was just filming earlier today, a little bonus video from my course that I'm building, how to photograph your art. And I was uh-huh. talking about how wonderful a diffuse day is for photographing art outside if you don't have yes. any lights. Yep. But I mean, that's a whole different matter because when you're shooting artwork, you don't want a whole lot of contrast you don't want bright 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 whites or dark 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 darks you want nice diffuse lighting um Mm -hmm. and it's overcast and cloudy today here so i was like yes this is put it over the top yeah take a white sheet and put it over the top then yeah yeah yep i was just talking about that yeah you can use a white sheet just go to community aid salvation army whatever get yourself a set of white sheets or a piece of thin white fabric yeah you can do that with just regular light too although you know you're gonna get color cast of course but that's you know the next little thing i have to film is um how to use your phone to remove those color casts if you don't have you know software so anyways okay so going back to your question what are you okay (laughs) <laughs> we, Mark III, we digress yeah camera i use all uh canon l lenses okay I, and i and i do this specifically i've got a couple of zooms and a couple of primes okay um, specific for pur- certain purposes and things like this I, I do not use one of these lenses that go from you know 70 to 500 or something like that uh, you know they're very very specific for what i'm doing an L lens is, I'm a Nikon girl. Oh, I'm sorry. An L lens, Canon makes a variety of lenses and a class of professional class of lenses is what they call their L lens series. Okay. They'll be the big white ones. The telephotos are the big white ones. And then okay. on down, they'll have the red. And unfortunately, I don't have one here. I'll show you. Um, they have the red rings around them. Gotcha. I've seen those. Yeah. So that's the, as compared to their consumer lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, the glass is just better. 
Yeah, and internals and the whole nine yards. Yeah, you'll get. If I didn't have those pictures, I couldn't do this right here. Are these lenses? I mean, I couldn't do this. Well, that brings us to P for product. So why couldn't you do that? Why couldn't you do those prints like that if you didn't have those professional quality lenses? The clarity wouldn't come through. The depth of it wouldn't come through. Mm -hmm. um, now, I process everything on Lightroom. Okay. And, you, and people can argue. And I can, in fact, I just had a guy compliment me on an iPhone. I took a shot of the river mm -hmm. and put it on Facebook this morning. He goes, well, that's not an iPhone picture. So yeah, it is. But I put it in Lightroom and I processed it a little more than just right out of my camera. Right. But I would never print that. You know, these pictures are taken with a 24 megapixel camera. Mm -hmm. I think it's 24, something like that. 20, maybe it's 21, but whatever it is. Um, and those lenses are so sharp. And that's the thing. It'll pull out. In fact, I can take a picture of a deer with a five, 400, I have a 400 millimeter lens. And you'll see the individual hairs on the deer. Wow. As close as, you know, within, you know, I get close enough to do that. Right. Um, or the feathers on the birds or the or the rocks or things like this. It's the clarity. It's that detail that I can never get with anything other than the lenses that I'm, well, I don't want to talk about Nikon because I don't know Nikon's lenses, but as far as Canon goes, with anything other than the lenses that I use. And by the way, if you look at a lot of other photographers, professional photographers, they're using very similar gear. Yeah. You know, the, the Canon L lenses or whatever the Nikon equivalent is, but you know, right. they're, they're at that level. They're not messing around with the consumer type of lenses. Right. Then what I do, like I said, I process it in Lightroom. Mm -hmm. um, I may Lightroom. only keep 15% of my pictures that I take. You just delete them outright or do you archive them? Delete them. Good for you. Oh, my God. How do you do that? <laughs> I just go through them. I don't even want to see them. I just pick this one, this one, this one, this one, can them. In fact, I was doing this morning. I had 100 and some odd from this uh, shoot the other day. I was going through them. First thing I do is go through every single one and make sure they're in focus. If they're not in focus, gone. Then I go through. Yeah, just delete them. Just clear them right off my computer. Then I go through and, and select if there's more than one that's and usually I only take one or two of the same scene, not mm -hmm. 15 or 30, but just a couple. I'll pick the one I like and I'll go from there. Then I'll start processing them. And I may get down to about 15% that I ultimately keep, 15 to 20%. And all the rest are already deleted off my computer. I don't even keep them. Good for you. Yeah. So that, that's some serious commitment. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, I don't want that stuff. I don't need it. You know, I'm just, I, I only want to show the really good stuff. And then from that, there's a small portion that goes on my website. And a lot of the other ones go off to, in this case, um, Adobe. What's it called? Anyway, it's Adobe. Their stock photography, I guess. Is oh, you upload your others to, so you put some on your website and some go to Adobe Stock. Yes, yeah. So I make have, some of those available through Adobe Stock. And then have going you back, linked Lightroom to Adobe Stock? I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't, I don't, you I just upload them. I just you upload. have an account and you just upload them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. And Does that I, generate I, a revenue for you? Have you found that successful? In hold, hold that creating, thought for um, one second. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll finish up then real quickly about the prints. Yeah. I, I print everything myself on an Epson P757. Let me look at this. P7570 um, large format printer. Nice. So, and I use Red River paper. I do it because I've tried labs and they have not come back with the detail and the depth that I want. Right. And I may, and 
It's a true story. If I don't like it when I print it, I'll rip it up. Hmm. It doesn't go out of here, you know, because I view the, the print as a final vision and the final artistic aspect of it, of yeah. everything that I'm doing. Yeah. And uh, so it's not. Wasn't it Ansel happy. Adams said the print is the is the performance of the composition? Oh, right. He's right. He's absolutely right. And so the if I dump the print to a lab, I've only done half my job and they're going to take the rest of it and do what they want to with it, how they want to with it. Mm. And I have no control. Yeah. They might not have the same vision. Exactly. And so what I do is I go through here and I may print something and I've done this. I actually had a, and it sounds stupid to some people, but it's true. I actually had a guy buy a, um, I guess a 11 by 14 print. So it'd be a five by seven or something like that or whatever it is in image itself. Mm -hmm. 14, whatever, whatever the size is. Yeah, I printed, 11 I printed by 14 a good size. Yeah, I printed that four times because I was not happy with it. Yeah. I just took it and ripped it up and sent it to him. When a guy got it, he was just like everybody else is when you get them. They're flabbergasted. They're amazed, they're, which is what Beautiful. I want them to be. Yeah. Yeah. I took printing. I took uh, digital fine art printing with John Paul Caponegro up in okay. Maine. Uh, he was on the show, too. And he he pulls so many prints. And if it doesn't come out exactly the way he wants, he just keeps printing and yep. printing and printing until he gets it exactly the way he wants. Yep. And I asked him, I was like, how many prints do you pull? And he's like, as many as it takes. It could take yep. 20 or more. I don't care. Um, and his vision is so you know, the range of his color accuracy and his values is so broad that his prints are really quite amazing. So yeah. that's so cool. That's so cool. And that is presentation, right? We're talking, you led us so nicely into the next, <laughs> into the next I mean, I segment. I jumped your presentation. <laughs> no, I think I asked you if you did HDR, but I'm guessing that the answer is actually no. I don't. All of my images, and I've had people ask me this, are they HDR? Are you doing this? Are you photoshopping them? Well, you got to explain what that means. You know, it's, I use Lightroom. Yeah, but, yeah. But I do not do uh, HDR. Everything I do is single image. That's so cool. Very People cool. can't believe it. Well, with the lenses you're using and the printer you're using, it sounds like you've just got the uh, pixels there and the glass there that can support that. And if I didn't, honestly, I'd go out and get it. <laughs> hey, a nice. true story i actually had to get a new printer this year yeah it was my last one which was a uh, epson 7900 failed on me just about christmas time this year after about yeah. seven years so mm. i bought a new one yeah. and i was using a different kind of paper every paper i use is a high quality cotton rank paper yeah you won't buy it at the local stores and and so i put that paper in there printed out an image and it was crappy i couldn't believe it i just absolutely couldn't believe it all i did was got a different printer same manufacturer yeah i, I actually had to switch papers i had to start looking around for papers okay. and i found a whole new paper cotton rank paper again though mm -hmm. that then finally got me back to where i wanted to be with the with the quality of the you mentioned the colors yeah the colors coming yeah. out and the detail yeah. and the depth and everything else finally got back to that it took me over two weeks of exploration so do you have you ever tried that velveteen fine art rag paper? Uh, yeah, I've tried different papers and um, I use this smooth cotton rag paper now from Red River. OK, um, so you like a smoother, not as much grain or as much texture yeah, to your paper. It, it, it gives more 
because when people walk in, I want them to feel as if they're part of this print. Mm-hmm. Like they're standing right there in this river, if you want to call it that. Yeah, um, yeah. And it does that. And yeah. what I found, at least for me, when I, because I got a package of, you know, demo paper from a couple of different places. Yeah. And when I would do that, it just lost something. I, I didn't know what it lost. And I know it works for a lot of people, but variety of papers just lost it. And so I latched onto one and said, this is it. That's all I'm doing. I like that, that you just, when you find one, you stick to it. So with framing and presentation, I notice you're not using mats back there and glass. What tips and tricks would you give for presentation? What are your favorite presentation tips? Okay. Um, when I'm at Art Fair, I'm going to go back to this for just one second. Yeah, yeah. Okay. See this frame? This is, yep. a, this is a handmade oak frame. Okay. Not by me. Okay, mm-hmm. not by me. I used a lot of these frames, different colors. You know, one was one set was one wall was uh, this frame with a kind of a black sort of a tint to it. Yeah. One was a kind of a maple scene, and one was clear like this. And people would come in and say, "We don't like your frames." Well, forget the damn. Fr- excuse me. Forget the frame. <laughs> That's all right. Like- Ashley Longshore was on. She swore like a sailor. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. But uh, forget the frame. It's the image. It's the print. You know. And yeah. People say, I don't like your frame. So it's like, forget that. Don't even think about the darn frame. So I got away from that completely. And I went to a product. uh, Well, and so I got away from all kinds of framing completely, which is actually pretty nice because it takes over half an hour for me to actually frame a print inside of this with all the darn dust that gets in glass and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pain in the butt. I've done, you know, cutting the mats. And if you're, you know, you waste all these razors because you got to change yep. it every single time or else it's like ripping the mat and yep. you well, got to have my, canned yep. air. And and that's really some of the biggest expense in artwork is matting and framing, right? Well, it, it can be a headache yeah, and the frames and stuff. So I have my own mat cutter mm-hmm. and I cut my own mats. And in art fairs in the booth, I will have mats, matted prints. Only 16 by 20 matted mm-hmm. and 20 by 24 prints matted. Mm-hmm. So people can buy those. And then, then they're I'm, in a sleeve? Yeah, they're in a, yeah, a sleeve. Like an yeah. archival sleeve. Okay, yeah. They're in a clear bay mm-hmm. company that I use. And then what I've done is, now forget the fact this is Velcro because it's only done that way on my booth. This is <laughs> not how you hang these in the room. But. I was having problems with people saying, well, I don't like the way you hang the pictures and stuff. So I said, okay, I'll take care of that problem. I got in in the booth, I got, these are pro panels Mm -hmm. and I put Velcro in the back. Now forget the Velcro because in real life you will use these little sliders. Mm -hmm. But this is what is called a Duraplac print. Duraplac? Duraplac, yes. It's a company out Uh of Colorado. Okay. And you can kind of see a little bit here. Uh I print this on paper. Uh-huh. Printed on the exact same paper as this one is. Okay. Yeah. And then I send it out to Colorado and uh-huh. I actually sign it, as you can see right up here. Yeah, yeah. Um, right on the print. I like right that. Right on the print. Yep. yep. Then I send it out to Colorado and then they mount it. With the print, not with the mat. Not with the mat. No, it's always all of my signatures, as is here too, always on the print. Yes. No. Yeah. And acid yeah. free acid free ink, but always. And so I send this out to Colorado and they mount it to what they call this eco-friendly board. And again, forget mm-hmm. the Velcro, but um, then when people hang it, they'll use a little, they'll give them little screws to put in the walls, hang it with this slats back here. And then you go in the wall and they look like this. And there's no more matting or framing. 
Period. I like it. So I like it. Whereas you used to have, or still do have, you know, this mat doesn't fit my couch. It doesn't matter. Does the print fit your room? Sure does. You're sailing. You know, I love that. It it's very modern. It's a lot more modern and clean. I think just that simple black edging. Um, I was always, I always did double mats, you know, three, four inches black frame. I actually have had artwork rejected from a New York gallery because I did a little something different with the frame, you know, people can really have a strong reaction to matting and framing. And so, um, I like what you've done. That's a great yeah. idea. Well, and the other thing is, is in my booth, and I use cotton rag mats too, crescent cotton rag. Um, I only mat in white, off white. Like this. Yep. If you want, like Henry Ford said about his cars, I do it any color you want, as long as you want black. Well, <laughs> <case>. <laughs> I'll do this any color you want, as long as it's going to be white. And some people say, well, why don't you use green or blue? I said, because I'll guarantee you, I will have the wrong color blue or the wrong color green. Mm-hmm. If you want green or blue, buy the print, go and have your local person do it. They will have far more inventory than I ever would. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like it. So yeah. on to E, we've covered art, product, presentation. E for educating. So how do you educate your audience? How do you market to them the quality of your prints and your materials and the archival attributes and the paper you're using and this and that and the other thing? How do you communicate and educate your audience? What is your favorite methods and techniques? Well, I'll say that's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> why I ask it. Yeah. <laughs> in art fairs, yes. In art fairs, I have a small Duraplac, you know, like a six by 12 or whatever or something like that, that I can just grab a hold of. Uh-huh. And I use that as a demo. And I have a small matted print, and again, a small one like this, much smaller than this, matted that I can flip up and show them and they can touch it and feel it and whatever for the few people that care. What yeah. I have found initially is most people don't care about the product. In other mm-hmm. words, I used to tell people right away, oh, it's acid free, this and that, whatever. who cares? Don't care. <laughs> do they feel they don't but can they feel part of the scene you know does the scene grab them mm-hmm. then they might ask me what's this made out of and i'll tell them but they sure didn't care if i told you this all was acid free red rag or red river paper da, 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 it's like who cares right okay so instead you tell them a story about the the photograph right. itself yep yep but in other words this image here, well, let's take the the birch trees. You can see them here. Mm-hmm. You know, some people say, well, this just pulls you in. And it really does. If you can see it closer, pulls you in and this and that, whatever. Where'd you go? And I'll tell them and I'll tell them the true story. I was, I've driven by this thing in Northern Wisconsin many, many, many times in my lifetime. And on that given day, it was in the morning, by the way, it was like mm-hmm. 10 o'clock. It wasn't at okay. six in the morning. Okay. Um, I was driving along at 60 miles an hour on this road, two lane road. And I happened to look and just remember, I told you I was shooting digitally in my mind all the time. I saw the light shooting through these trees. Boom, 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 boom. I hit the brakes real quick before I ever looked to make sure no one was behind me. And I <laughs> slid into the ditch, into the, into the shoulder area. <laughs> and I jumped out and I took a bunch of pictures right there. Nice. Um, yeah. 
I'll tell them that. They don't yeah. care. Then they might ask me, what's this made out of? How'd you do right. that? And then I'll bring out my little demo and say, well, it's made out of da, 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 da. Right, right. Up no, that's, that point, I never touch it. That's fantastic. You know, I heard that same type of thing from um, Jeffrey Stoner. Another photographer was on the show and he is known for photographing goats. Okay. He photographs these um, goats that they placed on top of a mountain as a conservation effort. Um, they had a lot of invasives growing on this mountain. Mm -hmm. So they decided they were going to put Angora goats on top of the mountain. And then to keep the goats, they put a couple of great Pyrenees to guard the goats. And so he's got these incredible photographs of these large white dogs and these goats, you know, and one of them's like a baby goat standing on top of the great Pyrenees or, sure. you know, and he tells these stories about them. He gives them names and they look like they're laughing and smiling or, you know, this baby goat standing on top of the, of the great Pyrenees or another goat headbutting the great Pyrenees, like trying to fight over the rock and how they want uh, the highest point. And, you know, he tells a story about him and he writes it on the back. And he says, that's what sells his work to people more often than the archival attributes of the paper. Like you're saying yeah. is the story behind them. Yeah. Nobody cares. <laughs> they don't care one bit. They only care after the fact you go buy a car. Do I care that it's made out of, you know, whatever, gauge steel or whatever else. Heck no. I only care, will it get me from point A to point B without falling apart? Or you might care about the story the car is telling about you as a person. That's why people buy Jeeps, right? Because that tells the story of them being an outdoorsy person right. or being into outdoorsy activities. So they care about the story that the print or the artwork or the car tells right. about them as a person and how they choose to live yeah so. i mean honestly nobody really cares about the materials until after they've kind of made their decision to buy it now tell me why this is different than the guy over there you know okay. why are your prints why are your colors so good i'll hear that why are your colors so good why is this why do i feel like i'm part of this why right, you know right. now let me explain why that happens and why they can't duplicate that Right. I like that, though. I like the point you're making that really that there's two stories. You've got to have them connect with the print first, the image, and then then they connect. Then it's the benefits of why you can't get it from somebody else, why it's printed so well. And I like that. So it's almost like two stories you're telling. Yeah. Them. Right. Now, if someone says, and I've had this happen, they'll come to my booth and they'll look at a print and they'll say, and I can tell they're doing this. They'll go off to somebody else's booth. Yeah. And then I'll come back again and I can tell that they're looking at it and saying, you know, I can get a print quote like this over there for a hundred dollars. And this one's 125 making that up, but whatever. Right. Right. They're price shopping. Go ahead. Um, you know, if you don't see the difference, I'm never going to be able to explain it to you. Hmm. I love it. Hi there, and I just want to take a quick second to thank you for listening to the podcast. I did this podcast just randomly and for free and out of the blue because I had the question, how do you make money with your art? I wanted to know. I was teaching college for 12 years and then I started my own business and I think it's a question that we don't answer and we don't ask. It's the big elephant in the room. How do you make money as an artist? So I have taken all of these interviews over five seasons, all these amazing creatives, and I've compiled a book 
That's right. There is now a book, The Artist Appeals, How to Make Money as an Artist in Seven Steps. So if you would like a gorgeously illustrated book with all of the best tips, tricks, quotes, stories, even some um, processes for how to create commission artwork, and even some stories of what not to do, mistakes that I have made and you don't want to make in your career, then please join me at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com and get your copy of the new book, The Artist Appeals, how to make money as an artist in seven steps. So just visit howtomakemoneywithyourart.com and get your copy today. Thanks a lot. I love it. All right. A for art, P for product, P for presentation, E for educating, A for amplification and automation. Here's where we get to be geeks and talk about the technical stuff. So how do you scale? How do you get bigger? This is kind of where that Facebook advertising comes in or apps. What are your favorite apps? What are your favorite um, business tips and tricks that you use to get more work done with less effort? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Did I stump you on with this? Let's start with, I know you shoot um, on your phone. You said you post your iPhone photography to Facebook. What's your favorite app for shooting and working in the iPhone? I use the camera that's on there. Okay. That's it. I just sent in. And then I, now it's not easy. Because I dump it again. I only take a couple of those pictures and I will dump them into Lightroom. Mm-hmm. Then I'll evaluate them in Lightroom and do the, you know, adjusting and things like this. So whereas most people might take a picture and shoot it and then they'll send it up to Facebook. I don't do that. I right. very rarely do that. Right. Um, do you use the Lightroom app? You know, they have a Lightroom app for the iPhone. Yeah, I don't. It's fun. It's about the same. And it syncs yeah. with Lightroom. Right. I know. Uh, yeah. But I keep everything on the desktop and uh, because there you have to use the cloud and I don't mess with the cloud. Everything's right on my computer. Mm, good for you. And, and the other part, let me back up on a second real quick. I don't mean yeah. to interrupt. But go, go. I like to, um, I don't want to say compartmentalize. That's not the right term to say, but, but when I'm out shooting, I want to be doing that. When I'm out doing this, I don't want to be bothered by something else. Mm. When I'm committed to working on my images, I want to see it on my 24 inch big screen that's color monitored or color profiled. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be messing around on this little phone, then looking at these images again over here. Um, I see. No, that makes sense. You don't want to do double duty. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm very compartmentalized in that regard. And in fact, people say, well, did you take good pictures today? I don't know. I won't know until I dump them on my computer. <laughs> I don't even mess with them. I don't even want to think about them. You know, I just want to keep going. So, um, I like that. that. So when you're shooting, you're shooting. And when you're editing, you're editing and you only want to do it once. You do it right on your computer and you delete all the ones you don't want. It's brilliant. It's it's brilliant. I love it. And I may edit over the course of a couple of weeks because I may go through, like, say, this morning, spend two hours on it. And I'll let those images sit for another week and a half, maybe before I go back to them Mm -hmm. and then start processing them again. I don't want to get too big of a hurry to do that. Right. Right. That makes sense. I have so many, I mean, I'm overwhelmed. I, I don't know. I have 60 or 70,000 photos in Lightroom and, you know, you just can't, you can't mentally no. process that many. No. So no. you got a catalog of everything else. I don't want to mess with the ones that aren't good. Just 
out of here. Good. I like that advice. That's good advice. So focus on what you're doing one thing at a time. If you're shooting, shoot. If you're editing, edit on a big monitor. If you're deleting and uh, making selections of images, just be decisive about it. That's the hardest thing, being decisive, right. isn't it? <laughs> decisive. Yeah, just just do it, you know. And, and uh, you asked about some of the other things. I, I'm terrible in a sense of time saving. I, now, I have taken, with David's help, um, he has helped me learn all about Facebook advertising, things like this. So that's yeah. my goal, it's to, to get better on that whole process right. and actually make money off of Facebook advertising and mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. And through him, he has opened my eyes up to a few other things like this. If you've ever used it, text expander. Oh yeah, copy and pasting. Kind it's of, essentially yeah. like um, I haven't used text expander, but I just use a regular Word doc, and um, or like in Gmail, I'll use Boomerang, which saves know. a. It's it's like text expander a little bit. Um, Boomerang for Gmail saves a template email. Okay that you can just open up, rework, and send off. Send off, yeah. Yeah, or yeah. if you want it to come back to you, it'll boomerang back to you to remind you to follow up with somebody. Okay. Um, so is Text Expander like that? No, Text Expander allows, it's like macros. In the old days when you used to have uh, WordPerfect before Word came around. Yeah, yeah. No, I've dated myself right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you Maybe have, like, I have too, because I actually know what a macro is. Okay, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and it's kind of like that. I mean, uh, for instance, I have a, a three word, three letters, QEM. That'll enter my email address. Boom. How often do I have to do that every single time I enter into a program that I want to get into, you know, or other okay. things like that. And it can do uh, a lot of text. I can just, mm-hmm. I can do the same thing. In fact, I do it. I have a QFP, I think it is, FPS, for a Facebook post script. So this oh. is have a great weekend, Drake Fleegy or Drake da 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 whatever it is, and then yeah. photography.com at the uh-huh. ending. So I have a number of those kinds of things. In using Lightroom, if you use Lightroom at all or yeah. something like that, I have so many times where I have to type in because I type in location always on my captions. Okay. So right here, Pike Lake Unit, Kettle Moraine State Forest, Hartford, Wisconsin. <laughs> It's a it's pain a to type that constantly. Yeah. But I just put all that in and I preface it by saying within, within Pike Lake unit, da, 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 PL, QPL. Boom. I hit that. And that comes up. Oh, or nice. Rocky Mountain National Park, Colorado. You know, that's just part Colorado. How many times am I going to type that? I don't want to. I just right. right. So do you keep like a cheat sheet on your wall or something of these hotkeys? Because otherwise you got to memorize them, right? Well, it helps to memorize them over time, yes. However, that's the other thing about um, text expander is if you hit, uh, I don't remember what it is, backslash something, it'll come up and it'll tell you. Okay. It'll give you a sheet right there. Oh, nice. Okay. Now yeah. I'm gonna have to check out check out text expander. That yeah. sounds that sounds cool. So it's a little different than what I was thinking it was, but it sounds really cool. Yeah, it saved me a lot of time. I mean, David is the one that turned me onto that. So. Um, there's those now. I, I, because I'm so detailed, I tend not to be one of these guys that just hit it and gone. I want to know a lot more about something. I want to make sure that my correspondence is right. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you know, I use Mailchimp, and yeah. I will, and I'm starting to get better at that. But um, even at that, it's like you know, it takes me an hour to 
put together something that looks good and yeah. makes sense to people and you know yeah. and i'll let it sit and i'll go back and look at it a day later to make sure it didn't misspell something or <laughs> i'm read horrible right, at you know? spelling and yeah. sometimes i'm moving so fast because i've got kids around that i'm just i hit send and i'm like well that was really unprofessional right. that was the wrong word <laughs> totally <Whoops. laughs> yeah exactly oh so, well so i'm you know there's i'm always trying to do things better not necessarily more expedient okay i mean i try to do more expedient but the quality of the thing is the most important thing to me. A true photographer spoken like a true photographer. I like it. <laughs> okay. So L for licensing and contracts. I like to hit on licensing and contracts because a lot of artists, I think are scared of licensing and contract terms. So um, are there any tips or tricks that you would offer for licensing your work? or contract terms or contracts that you have in place. Now you said you upload a lot of images to Adobe stock. I, I totally want to hear about that because that's licensing right there. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. And then let's talk licensing and contract terms in plain English. Cause okay. I think that's what people get scared by is the legalese. Yeah. Um, first of all, from a, from a legalese kind of person who understands photography, uh, Carolyn Wright, uh, she's known as the, the photographer's lawyer or lawyer, photographer, whatever. She's a photographer by herself, mm -hmm. of herself. I mean, as well, she's a lawyer. So she oh, deals nice. in contract law and whatever. So if you're kind of interested, yeah, follow her Facebook page. She's really, you know, got some good stuff. What's her name again? Karen? Carolyn Wright. Carolyn Wright. Yeah, W-R-I-G-H-T. Okay, I'll have to and look her up. It's like... Uh, lawyer for photographers or mm -hmm. photo law or something like that. I forget exactly how she's got it, but yeah, it's worth it. Cool. Um, now in Motorola, I have had years and years of experience with contract law. Right. I didn't write it, but I was in sales. So I had to understand it and deal with it and mm -hmm. negotiate it. Mm -hmm. um, so when I started in photography and started into this stuff, what I have found is a lot of people don't understand licensing and they don't want to, or they understand Why it not? really, really well. And they don't want you to think they know it really, really well. So when I was doing this, I always, and I still to this day, anybody wants something, I will write the proposal. I will give them a, even a print. I've had the mm -hmm. problem where somebody, I knew this person was going to be like this, send them a, on a custom. If they want a 60 by 24, that's easy, but a custom mm -hmm. size. Yeah. I'll send them a proposal completely what this is all about. Mm -hmm. It's going to be this, going to be this, going to be this, going to be this, going to be this. I'll do the same thing with licensing if the contracts. I'll mm -hmm. write a proposal to them. That proposal that I send them must be included in the contract. Mm -hmm. Period. End of discussion. It's not going to be accepted, you know, unless that's in there. If they want to make changes to it, they certainly can. And then I will rewrite the proposal, right. which will include their changes. But that's going to be in the contract. Too many people. So have, the proposal you write, like in a word document, you write the your name, your address, the date, your contact information, and then you outline this is the size, this is the medium, this is the like you get specific, right? What am I going to provide you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For for custom printing. Now, if someone wants just a regular print, like I said, sixteen by twenty four. I want this. Boom, take it off the website, and away you go. Um, 
But when people wanted to get custom printing, custom sizes, yeah. you know, I want 16 by 27 and a half. Okay, let's be clear what that means. Right, right. You know? And then you outline the paper and all that good stuff. The too. whole nine yards. Yep, I do the whole nine yards. At that point in time, because now they're, if they're on my website buying, they see all of that on the website. It already tells them that. But mm-hmm. because they're coming in with this very specific purpose, I have this feeling that I'm not about to get burned. Mm. So I will tell them completely. I will assume they have not read anything mm-hmm. and I'll give it to them. And I had a problem with this one time where, I don't know, the person worked over like three different sizes. I want a 30 by 40 and a 30 by 33 and a half and a 30, whatever. And finally, I just said, I'm not going to give you the price anymore. You figure out what you want. So he did. So I sent it to him. He wanted a Duraplac print. Mm-hmm. And let's just say it's 30 by 23. I don't remember the dimension, but it was okay. weird. Yeah, yeah. And oh, in fact, I can only print 24 wide. So it had to be wider than that because I had to go out to Colorado to get it printed. So, okay. I had to find a, so I had to find a place that printed with the same paper I did mm-hmm. on the same on the same uh, ink set that I did. Mm. So, so I did. So I'm, I sent this person this proposal and told him, and by the way, just so you know, there's a three eighths inch border around all the Duraplax just add that in most people aren't going to care mm-hmm. how big a wall do you have well this guy got all excited and i said okay i spent the last five weeks messing with this we're mm. done i'm no longer going to deal with custom issues i had yeah. to make changes we're done yeah now the reverse of that is i don't normally have that anymore because i took that off there and, and there's you want this away we go if someone does come in with another one i'll be happy to do it but it will always be a proposal from me to them in detail. What am I going to do? The reverse of that is I had a guy, I should have known better. (laughs) We should have always known better. Yeah. I should have known better. Paint our house. And and I said, okay, now Mr. Sales guy, you got to brush it. You got to do this. It's a log home. You got to do this and this and this and this. Yep. Got it all done. When the guys came out to do it, they were going to spray it. I said, what the hell are you doing? You can't spray this. Won't work. Well, yeah, it'll work. I said, it won't work. You go ahead and try it. They wasted two hours before they realized that I was right. Hmm. And I went back to the contract. All of the stuff that we had said was never written in there. Shame on me. I should know better. Now, I had the same situation with the hospital. Uh, not the hospital, but an art art designer, art, uh, art consultant, they called him. Okay. She was looking for prints for the hospital. Okay. And she picked out a bunch of prints. And because of the way it was, they wanted to print their own. I said, no, no, I'll... I got this feeling that I'm being taken. So I said, I will print them. Even if I didn't print them, I'd go find somebody who could print the size they wanted. Right. You know, I'd keep that under control. No, 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 I'll print them. So he worked up this whole deal. And let's just say these are 30 pictures. I don't remember what they wanted. And she came back and said, okay, we'll, we'll do this for $2,000. I said, yeah, but you didn't include these other 20 images. Oh, no, we'll do those too. I said, no, 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 no we got to talk about these other 20 images. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. said, you'd walk for $2,000. I said, yeah, no problem. <laughs> End of discussion. That's it. I said, you have to talk to somebody else. Not me. You're not getting 30 images for $2,000. Right. People try and take advantage of artists. They yes. seem to think we're so desperate and so hard up that, and that our work is so easy, yes. maybe because we love it so much that we should just give it to them. That it's, they don't know what goes into it. And that's why I asked that question about educating your audience is, is, you know, I think part of being an artist is having a 
honest and open conversation with your collectors about the work that goes into things so that they feel like they're buying something special and that it's not just easy and you should just, oh, well, I don't want to pay for it because it just is so easy for them. Right. You know? Now, along with that same thought process is, is if people, if you give something away, there is no value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you give them a gift, if I put a price on, let's say this one here, let's just call it 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. take now I'm going to give this to you. It's $30. It says in my proposal, this is $30, but I'm giving it to you because of whatever. And I will mm -hmm. certainly make up a reason why I'm giving it to you. So you know that right. there will be value. You will feel this. But if I just outright say, you're a nice person, I'm going to give this to you. You're going to say down the road, a guy gave it to me. It's probably worth five bucks. Big deal. Who cares? Uh-oh. So if, and I have donated things to people. And so I you do a proposal for donations too, for any sort of gift or any, um, I've had companies approach me or, or nonprofits approach me for donations to auctions. Yep. Do you do a proposal for those as well? No, although you just gave me an idea to do that. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let me, let me back up a second. I've done silent auctions at mm -hmm. art fairs. And I usually give them something that I don't really care about anymore because they don't care. I've never had any return in silent auctions. I should quit doing it. Um, over the course of the pandemic, I gave some, I had little promotions, two of them for mm -hmm. 10 prints each to uh, healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. Any, oh, any nice. healthcare worker that was interested in one of my prints, they had to take those prints specifically off of my website. You know, I didn't pick it for them. I wanted them to pick it. And I wanted mm -hmm. them to tell me why that image meant something to them. Mm -hmm. And when they did, then I would send them a print. And it was like 16 by 24, some were 11 by 14s because they were easier to ship. Mm. So, um, so I would send that to them. So it felt right away that image meant something to those people. Right. In there, I would send them a letter that said, thank you very much for everything you're doing during the pandemic. Um, you know, and they would always tell me why this affected them. They're, they're the people that really were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, why that print would help them. So obviously they put it on the wall. They're going to always remember that. I yeah. tell them the story about the print. Mm -hmm. Why going back to the education thing, how it came to be that I took that image in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and if there's a little more to it, then I would tell them a little bit about that. And so those people I know got something out of these images. It, to them, it was more than you know $125 or whatever. Because they knew the value. I told them right up front is, I'll give it to you, but it's worth X, but here's what you got to do for me. Now, did and you end up using those as sort of testimonials? I did. Fantastic. What a wonderful, yep. that's great. It's great marketing because they've gotten a valuable piece that spoke to them and you've gotten those wonderful testimonials of what it meant to them. That's great. I love that idea. Yeah. So did you build a form on your website? How did you connect with these people? No, through Facebook. On, oh, um, Actually, a couple of different ways, but but it was on Facebook. I would put out a note that said, you know, this pandemic. And, and again, when it first started, who knew it was going to be as long as it did and everything else? Yeah. So I, it was over the course of a couple of months, you know, one in like in, say, May of last year and another one in the fall or something like that. Um, I'd put it out there and say, you know, I just, well, in fact, what spurred me was there was a doctor in like March of last year from New York City that killed herself. She oh. was ER doctor, and she's overwhelmed with all of this. And I don't remember exactly where, but somewhere out, in, out east. Yeah, somewhere out east in that area. 
And she was in charge of the ER, in charge of whatever, and just killed herself. So like, <sighs> what can horrible. I do? Well, yeah. what I can do is if people connect to my images and I'll put a limit, I put 10 at a time, you know, when I uh-huh. do this, I will offer to the first 10 healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. I don't care what position you are. I had doctors, I had, you know, uh, people working in nursing homes. I don't care. I don't care mm-hmm. if you're the person mowing the lawn. If this mm-hmm. bothered you in any way, and a print of mine can help you through this, mm. give it to you. No questions asked. It's worth X amount of dollars. All I ask is you tell me which one you want and why you picked it. Mm. I love and that I story. That, yeah. that's, that's, that's not just marketing, it's PR, it's public relations. It's, it's doing something for somebody. I love it. I love yeah, it. It's, it's, what can I do? You know, what can I help them? Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Last letter. We're coming to the end. S for success. So we did art, product, so, presentation, educating, amplifying, licensing and contract terms and S for success. So my question here for you is, how do you personally measure success? Because if you read any of these goal setting books or, you know, success books, self-help business books, they always tell you you've got to set goals, right? And I think we as artists, a lot of times um, set goals, but then we don't really stop to take into account whether we've been successful with whatever it was we were trying to do. We just jump to the next thing. Oh, I'm going to make this next piece of art and I'm going to try and market it and blah, 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 blah. Um, so how do you define and measure success? What, what do you use? Like, how do you reward yourself and determine what is success in this world of art? First thing I do, I mean, I'll start with this money is easy to say you're successful or not based on money, but I don't use that. Um, yes, I need money. And my wife says, why are you charging these? Cause I need money to do things. I need money to do this stuff. You know, yeah. I need money to buy my lenses. I need money to do these other things. Yeah. You, you know? got money to buy the paper that you print on. Right. Right. And then, and with money allowed me to give these prints away to the nursing home or to the, not the nursing home, the healthcare workers oh, it allowed yeah. me to sponsor three virtual concerts over the course of the year during oh, the pandemic. Um, that's cool. To help other people through the pandemic. You know, yeah. a friend of mine is a professional musician. I got him to do it and away we went. So, so I need money, but money isn't how I view success. Right. Um, rather. A few of the artists use money as their moniker of success. Yeah. It, it, even when I was in sales, people asked me, how come you're so successful? You, you know, are you, Concerned about no, I don't give a damn about the money. Excuse me. <laughs> if, That's all right. It's if I do these other things right, equating to this, if I use the right paper for me that provides the right colors and the right contrast, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and the right images, and the people walk into my booth and they go, Wow. Or these healthcare workers that go, this touches me because of dot 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 dot, which equates out to other people saying, Wow, this one. I feel part of this mountain scene, or I feel this, you know, that to me is success partially. Now, when they start paying for that, that's another vote of success. Mm-hmm. Um, on, and I break it down on multiple categories. I mean, working with David and I'm learning this advertising, this Facebook advertising, I've had success in some of those advertising. Mm-hmm. Not that anyone's bought anything yet from that because it hasn't. 
but by virtue of how I'm, I'm learning all about this uh, targeting audiences and things. Mm -hmm. Layered targeting. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff, huh? Yes. Why learning more about that. And some of the things that I thought was going to be good weren't. And some of the Mm. things that I thought weren't going to be good are getting better. So Mm. it's like, you know, those are small incremental successes to me to get to the end goal of where this starts to take off much like he's doing successfully. So, so those are those things. Um, One, you know, here's another sign of success. If you want to call it that is I happen to find this out too late, but a person with dementia and people with dementia in the evening and whatever, they start to get a little bit wild sometimes, not crazy wild, but just, yeah. Yeah. A and, friend of mine told me about that. It's something to do. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the people that worked at the nursing home with them happened to find my website and they knew me and they showed them my pictures of my website. And this particular person latched on to one particular scene. There's a water scene and things like this. And when they would see that scene, they settled down. Mm. And so this person kept that picture on her web, on her phone so that when this person would come in and get excited or whatever, let's just take a look at some pictures again. Boom, there it was. And it was like, you know, that's great success to know that, and I didn't know it at the time, but yeah. to know that it affected people in that regard, you know, that means I'm doing something right. That's a fabulous story. I love that idea. Once again, public relations in a way too, you know, the yes. idea that an image can cause someone who has dementia to calm and to settle that's yeah. that's so beautiful yeah so once this person told me about this the one who had it on her phone i immediately took that print and framed it up with one of the frames i had left over and gave it to her oh so here so this cool. is yours to your wall so so there are those types of things uh, that to me are success now am i making a ton of money not yet you know It'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that is a real life example. You know, I interview people on this podcast that have had tons of success, like Ashley Longshore. She says she earned like a million dollars in 2015 without gallery representation, but she's the exception to the rule. The rest of us are just trying to meddle through it and figure it out and make a living at it, you know, and some of us are doing more, some of us are doing less, but I want to thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and just being so candid and honest with us because that's what it's all about. Like I said, that's the point of this podcast is to talk to everybody. I can get my little claws on, you know, my little paws and claws on. Of how are you doing it? What are your tips and tricks? And you've given us some really good ones. I, really well, I, I hope it. so. I mean, when I got into this, I tell people, and I have a blog that for art fairs more. Yeah, what's about, your blog, Drake? Tell us, well, tell my, us your address. My Give website us all your... is powderhillphotography.com. All one word. Spell it. P-O-W-D-E-R, Powder Hill, H-I-L-L, photography.com. Powder Hill Photography. Photography.com. Yeah. And you've got a blog, you say? Yeah, the blog's off of that. Okay. And in there, if you're doing art fairs, um, I specifically wrote a series. I mean, there's some in there that's philosophical and some talks about the, a whole series talks about my story about different images. Mm-hmm. Talking about that. Talking about explaining to people. So, and that's going to be 
that's going to become more uh, video on every image within my website over time. But that's oh yeah, you're going to do videos on every yeah. yeah. I'll tell you a little more about that in a second if you want. But yeah, but the, totally. The blog portion. Anybody who's interested in art fairs, I've written how I do art fairs, why I chose this over that, why I'm doing this, what's my experience here, what about yeah. that. Da, 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 da. Um, and I do that because it goes back to what you said. When I first got into this, for a whole host of other things, I asked an awful lot of people a lot of questions yeah. and read a lot of books. Yeah. And it's the only way I learned. And I, and I spent a whole year going to art fairs before I ever bought a tent, mm-hmm. learning from people, you know, you know, tell me about this. Why are you doing this? Or, or just nothing more than watching them. Yeah. Watching people pack up. You know, what are they doing? Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I wrote all this out for the real reason that maybe it will help somebody else. Yes, I love it. So go to your website, powderhillphotography.com. Yep. Look at your blog and you have a whole, whole section under art whole section on art fails. Oh, I love it. I'm going to go check it out. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. I haven't done um, I've done some craft fairs and but I've always done fine art, you know, fine art shows. I have never yeah. done the big craft fairs. What are your favorite craft fairs, by the way? You said you only do three now. What are your big I only three? Do three? And actually, believe it or not, they're all right here within 10 miles. It's an old farmhouse or, or farm barn that they've converted into an event type of place. Yeah. And they've done a marvelous job of spreading all the vendors. There are probably 150 of us out there. Uh-huh. They spread us all out. So instead of being all connected in a little block area, yeah, you know, they got six here and 10 over there and 15 over there and whatever, whatever. Right. All this spaciousness. So yeah. it's a place where people can, can just hang out all day long, listen to music, eat something if they want to. And then and it's so casual that people do. And then they'll stop by. And instead of like race through and come back and they're done and they saw it, They'll stop by two or three times. They'll say, hey, I got to get my husband to show you or whatever. And yeah, so I really connect with people. Yes. Yes. That's why I like it. I I like it there because, well, for one, it's 10 miles away. But that aside, it's just so casual people. It's not like uh, downtown. I don't want to say downtown Milwaukee, but someplace else. We're just outside and we're not pushed away. We're just a lot of space for everybody, you know. Multi-generational families show up there. Cool. Kids on up to and that pandemic. works for the pandemic too. More space, right? Yes. Yes. And yeah. Oh, I didn't do it last year. They did, but I didn't. I said, um, I can't control that in a 10 foot booth, but I'm doing them again this year. Yeah. Good. 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 You just asked me another question. Then. Mm, yeah. When we were talking about on the success. Of, measuring success. Yeah. Well, uh, tell us about your social handles there as we wrap up, at least at the very end. So we've got Powder Hill Photography. Is that your Facebook too? That's yes. Yes. Everything is off of Powder Hill Photography. Um, if you go to my website and clip way, oh, videos, what I was going to say. If you go to my website, clip way down, you'll see Facebook little icon. Click uh-huh. on that. That's my Facebook is also Powder Hill Photography. I think, I think it's actually Powder Hill. Yeah. Photography. How did you come up with that name? Um, well, a couple things. One is I wanted a name that stood out for nature, mm-hmm. but wasn't geographically located. In other okay. words, I live in the Kettle Moraine of Wisconsin. So Kettle Moraine photography would be here. Yeah. But but that doesn't mean much. There's yeah, because you photograph everywhere, right? Exactly. Yeah. So there's a hill right behind us, actually, it's called Powder Hill. Mm-hmm. It's a came, it's a geographical feature. 
which other than being right here, nobody knows about it. It could be a hill out in Colorado for that matter or someplace else. But yet at the same token, Powder Hill refers to nature. I like it. As compared to just say Drake Fleegy photography, a lot of wedding photographers are their first names, you know. Yeah. First yeah. So, so that's how I came up with it. Actually, my wife came up with it. I like it. Um, one day, and I said, "Well, that makes a lot of sense." So I did the research to find out if anybody's taken it. Nobody has. I said, "Well, I just did." So boom. cool, cool. Right? And you said you're going to do videos. That was the yes, question you were going to tell us about yes. forthcoming I'm, videos. One of the things David has helped me with is a lot of understanding videos. I was kind of was against him before. Mm-hmm. And and he's helped me understand that that's not the position I should be in. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I'm doing the video with my iPhone, so it's you know no big deal. But um, I started doing video ads, doing a display like this, and talking about some of these prints. Um, I've got a couple of video ads placed right now on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Also, on my website, I have my artist statement, which is a written document like everybody else has. Mm-hmm. But I've also taken that and talked about my um, my artistic vision, the Denali mm-hmm, instance mm-hmm. and all that. And I put that as a video. And that's also now on my Facebook page, or excuse me, not Facebook, on the homepage, as well as on the artist statement page. Mm. So you can go there and you can listen to me. Um, I have a little thing about how to run my gallery because people are getting a little confused with that perhaps. Right. And, and then on this one here, which wasn't, it well, still is, but I've also changed it. It tells a story about this print, much like mm-hmm. we talked about. Yeah. And so I put a little video like that on that page for that print. And my intention is to do that on many, if not all of my prints. Very cool. I love it. What yeah. a great idea. Well, Drake, thank you so much. I'm going to have to check out some of your videos. I'm excited to see them. Thank and you. I want to thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it. Uh, thank great you experience. so much. Thank you. Hi there. And I just want to take a quick second to thank you for listening to the podcast. I did this podcast just randomly and for free and out of the blue because I had the question, how do you make money with your art? I wanted to know. I was teaching college for 12 years and then I started my own business and I think it's a question that we don't answer and we don't ask. It's the big elephant in the room. How do you make money as an artist? So I have taken all of these interviews over five seasons, all these amazing creatives, and I've compiled a book. That's right. There is now a book, The Artist Appeals, How to Make Money as an Artist in Seven Steps. So if you would like a gorgeously illustrated book with all of the best tips, tricks, quotes, stories, even some um, processes for how to create commissioned artwork, and even some stories of what not to do, mistakes that I have made and you don't want to make in your career, then please join me at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com and get your copy of the new book, The Artist Appeals, How to Make Money as an Artist in Seven Steps. So just visit howtomakemoneywithyourart.com and get your copy today. Thanks a lot.